Okay. You know, Adam, I'm going to be real with you right now. Yeah. I don't have any intro planned. <laughs> uh, I know I'm supposed to be the intro guy because yeah. it's a you episode, yeah. but I have literally nothing. And I thought actually that my candor and, uh, you know, my authenticity would lift would us. fucking be a perfect introduction to Blair Witch Project. <laughs> See how I did that? You little behind the scenes, little found footage of this podcast we're talking director piece theater. I'm Abe Epperson, but today the star, wow. the man who's going to bring us the, uh, you know, not the introduction, the meat of the episode. Uh, you know who you are. I know who I am. I'm Adam Ganser. Uh, sh- this was a shaky cam intro, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Abe, do you want to do you want to let out your first major thing? Do you want to just like bleed it right onto the canvas to start? The thing I said before. Yeah. Do you want to say rolling? it, or do you want to uh, come back to yeah, it? Yeah, I think this is kind of a trash movie. <laughs> Blair Witch Project. I mean, I'm not saying it's not seminal. You're gonna go into it, and yeah, I'm yeah. gonna like nod, and I'm yeah, gonna yeah. be like, I uh, actually agree with you. Yeah, 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 it is all these things. But yeah. also on top of that, it's a trash movie. <laughs> Did you watch it in the theater? I did. I did I too. Did, as a young, as a young lad in 1999. Me too. Do you remember feeling like, oh my god, this is like overwhelming with the camera stuff? Do you I remember? I do, and I actually Me remember too. the feeling of asking myself, "Is this real?" Yeah, of course. You know, that's all anybody and remembers. Then I, and then, yeah. uh, and then the little wooden figurines popped right? up, and I was like, "Nah, did someone had to go there and right, like, make that make right?" This. Of course, like there's no fucking way. But that suspension of disbelief is exactly what made the Blair Witch Project so popular, right? Right. I think that's probably its most enduring legacy. Uh, so, okay, if you're living under a rock, you've probably never heard of the film The Blair Witch Project, which was released mm-hmm. in 1999. But you should know it did change the course of film history um, in a couple ways. The the first and probably most famous is that it was the it's sort of like the Rosetta Stone for all found footage movies, meaning right. that like it became a genre after this movie. Uh, yeah. It wasn't the first movie to do it, by the way, but it just seems like it's the one that was popular, uh, the Edison of that story, if you will. And, like, we're still getting found footage movies. We're always going to get found footage movies. This movie kind of put that on the map. Um, The horror genre in particular has been pretty captivated by this technique, and we've had several pretty notable entries like Paranormal Activity or Creep or Host um, and a bunch of others that are of this genre. And I would even say those movies that are, like, screen-based movies – you know, like Unfriended and stuff. Those are also mm-hmm. an update on found footage movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's yeah. a fair characterization. So all of that comes back to Blair Witch. Um, so that alone is a pretty significant legacy. Um, but also, it is basically like the Rosetta Stone for independent filmmaker success. Like, it's your, it is the dream story as an independent filmmaker. They made right. it for 35 grand. Which, how much, <laughs> 35 grand, is that a lot of money, Abe? <laughs> is that a lot of money? No, we yeah. made sketches at, uh, our, at, like, for our jobs for that much. And Many. we were like, thank you. Yeah, thank exactly. Thank you for that much money. Exactly. Yeah. There were, I can think of four or five sketches we made offhand that were more money than that. Uh, right. But, so that's pretty know, wild. I've also made the $1,000 sketches. Right. Yes. I'm I'm like a Blair Witch. Yeah, you project. are a Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just you. 
pointing it out. No, no, no. It's not for this runtime for this the, the amount of scenes they had to get. It's it's basically like it really was what they wanted to be. I feel like it was the directors and the actors and like a sound guy out there in the woods. Right. And that was like it. Yeah, basically. So like just so, just for comparison, it's about 35 grand is like about 5% of a really low budget movie's budget. <laughs> right. Like yeah. like as in like, you know, a $500,000 independent film is made for nothing. That's like nothing in the independent world. And this is, you know, less than 10% of that. So it's right. it's really truly nothing. Um and they shot it in eight days. Again, another miracle, a thing that would never happen in a film being made in any way that resembles the studio process. It kind of shows. <laughs> oh, I agree with that. I think okay. I think you're totally right about that. And I and I want you to keep bringing that stuff up because I think that is yeah. important to acknowledging the strengths and weaknesses of it. Right. Um, anyway, it got into Sundance the way all of us dream our films will. And then uh, got picked up by Artisan and made over $200 million worldwide. It's like the ultimate success story. Um, and funny enough, it is also kind of a pioneering uh, effort in several different cinematic conventions. One of them is sort of the meta narrative documentary. They didn't invent that, but they are early in that process. Uh, that's now kind of more of a standard thing. And probably most importantly, and this is, I'm sure, where Abe's going to get, like, blow his witch stack. Uh, they are kind of the first major advertising your film on the internet success story. Um, and they sort of created a template that now can no longer exist. So they are like this, they're like this door that opened from, you know, the abyss. And then they walked through it into Hollywood success and closed it behind them. Uh, but they figured it out first. So, you know, they really did. Yeah, they did. Uh, and you have to kind of acknowledge that. So today we're going to talk a little bit about just sort of a a bunch of different aspects of how the film was made. Um, we're going to talk about their development and their production. And what we're going to notice is that there are sort of two guiding factors for all of their decisions. And I'm hoping that 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 uh, Abe and I are going to basically have a debate about the merits of that of these two poles in filmmaking and sort of what does it mean for other films and how does it guide our experience as filmmakers. The first one is that this is a film that has what I would call a relentless commitment to authenticity, like just relentlessly so. Uh, and that's from the writing all the way down to the casting to the production, all of it. Um, and the second guiding pole is that their budget is so small that they cannot do the studio method. They had to do a method that was not the studio method because they didn't have the resources to make a film the traditional way, even the traditional independent way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to see how they dealt with both of those two things and discuss the merits of those decisions um, as we go. Um, so... Probably, I I mean, these are some conclusions I think we'll reach, but we might not. Um, One of them is, I think we'll notice that Hollywood learned the wrong things from this movie. Like, Mm. the things that truly added up to its success, I think Hollywood did not learn those things. I like that. That's spicy. Uh, But I I think that that'll emerge. It might not, but I think so. Um, And second, you'll see that ultimately it was a hell of a lot of luck that kept this movie from basically 
dying in an abandoned basement with the audience turning its back to it. You know, like mm. like luck. That's a big part of why this worked. Um, and we'll talk about how that is true. Um, and why that's important for every film. I mean, every film basically has to get lucky to to succeed on the level this one did. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about oh, that. Yes. So, uh, so Abe, that means basically, like, please feel free to at any point be like, wait, let's talk about what that means. Like, please feel free to do that because okay. we're gonna yeah. we're gonna do for that. right now. I want to just be on the ride. Okay, I great. Be on the Adam ride. Fantastic. So, guys, yeah. I'm sure a lot of you probably know. These facts about the Blair Witch, I don't think that this is going to be like breaking new ground, um, but I do think that talking about it from a filmmaking point of view might lend some new insights into why these decisions were made, I hope. So that's the goal. Um, the first thing is that, so Blair Witch started very similarly to how most indie films do, especially the successful ones, which is the filmmakers were like really, really good at consuming a niche area of film creation that didn't exist much in the popular culture. So like they had this niche uh, avenue of film that they were consuming and that they were experts in. Um, so in this case, that means Daniel Merrick and Edward, Eduardo Sanchez were consuming a lot of paranormal documentaries. Like whatever that means, <laughs> they were watching a bunch of like documentaries on ghosts and spirits and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm they ended up having a conversation about how the reality of these documentaries way more terrifying than any horror movie could be. And that's probably right. I, I mean, of course, right? Like I think that tapping into that visceral dread about the, un, the other there are worlds, you know, there is, are implications and notions in this movie, but perhaps better done in other films. Oh, for sure. Um, that are, more considerative considerations of horror, like just the idea, putting a planning in the audience's idea of uh, mind and idea of like uh, a circumstance, like you're like the kid looking at or the kids looking in the corner or something like that. And what that image means, it, like it, it haunts you because your imagination fills in the blanks. Right. right? Yes. Which a lot it's of less so than especially modern horror, which is all about scares. Right. right? I mean, a lot of horror movies do rely on the audience to fill in the blanks, but this one, I think, goes much further than others yeah. in that regard. It does then, like, let's say, another found footage, like Paranormal or VHS, right? which are more about showing you the money, the unique money shots that found footage has, has to offer. Right. Yeah. Right. My favorite found footage movie, by the way, as a genre, is Cloverfield. Uh, and I think that's an example of, uh, using found footage only as a device and not having to live with any of the conventions that found footage usually involves. Mm -hmm. Um, so we might from time to time use them as a comparison point, you know, um, Mm -hmm. because Cloverfield obviously has millions of dollars, uh, to make the film. So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, so in the, in the sense that, uh, that, Merrick and Sanchez were like experts in this weird little genre. That's pretty, that's pretty common among your very famous indie filmmakers who became success stories. So like Tarantino, obviously, I mean, Wes Anderson, Soderbergh was very like format, you know, like driven and he still is. Um, Robert Rodriguez, David O. Russell, lots of these guys like had really boutique interest points that their film career has subsequently explored. 
That's um, right. And some of them got away from it, but most of them they didn't. You know, so mm-hmm. these guys are the same. Um, but what's interesting to me about that focus is that they their commitment to authenticity was was the idea, right? It's not just like a cool method to get an interesting movie. It is the movie, right? Like generating the reality is is the point of this movie um, yeah. and not just like, hey, we're going to shoot this grungy on 16 and like low light and stuff so it feels real, which is how a lot of people would do authentic. No, the, right? the uh, every shot has a very specific implication uh, of this is all for real. Um, therefore, like the hand, the camera holding, all these things are now considerations. Right. Like, right. How, where, where does, what does frame see? What is sound here? These are all things that filmmakers have to do all the time. But when you have a, like a narrative instead of like, like, I guess what you're calling it, this kind of meta narrative implication of it, uh, because just dictated by the format, it means that there's just a lot more choices. Absolutely. Uh, and they all, in order to get a tone right, choices have to be right. And that's why I think found footage generates mostly misses. Trash. Yeah, misses. Because there's too many things for me to just be like, I don't know why that is, or that moment doesn't hit the way you want it to, man. It's, you know, like it's hard know. because if you get, if you do a really great job with the choice making of like, where is the angle? What are we seeing? Like a movie like Cloverfield, mm-hmm. it stops feeling a found footage movie. Yeah. And starts feeling like a real movie because like nobody would operate exactly. the camera so successfully, you know. Yeah. So creating the sense that this is accidentally telling a good story, right? Uh, like, a- it, it is really challenging. But Blair Witch took a really, I think, innovative approach to that, yes. uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, for better, for worse, you know. So I think they did get the feeling of authenticity through the film in a way no found footage film has done since um, for reasons that will become clearer. So anyway, most of the time when people talk about reality or authenticity, they're really talking about a set of camera choices and lighting choices and maybe performance choices that all add up to this feeling of like, wow, it's really grounded and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like that's what I, I mean. For lack of a better term, like some some of the mumblecore movement was about that, right? Uh, some of the '90s films that were being done, uh, like uh, this, like Festen, or the Danish films. What were those called again? What was that movement called? The Dogman Veritas. Films? Yeah, the Veritas movement. Right? Cinema Verite. Yeah, Verite. That's the idea there, right? It's like we're going to get more to authentic filmmaking by getting rid of all this excess equipment. And all this like unnecessary trappings of a studio system, and it feels like, oh, this is real, right? Blair Witch is going right. on, a, is doing something different than that, because Blair Witch is not trying to do like make you feel like the movie's real. They're trying to make the reality of it uh, unquestionable. Like they're trying to make that beyond right. question. Exactly. You know, like it's like authenticity, yeah. like it's certified real. Like that's what this is about. Um, so yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's the interesting notion behind them is that they're, they have to succeed in that in order for this all to work. Yes, they do. Uh, this might be the closest only because it was the first. And like I said, as a child, it did work. Right. Uh, it worked and, on your first viewing. You right. Know? So great, great success. Blair Witch, 
you're you're all good but like the because it's a genre now our the taste the lexicon has been updated that's like interesting the whole trait so like i want like to, it doesn't hold up authenticity now because of and that authenticity in a single shot okay how many times in this film and all you know films after really have done this trope where the end of the movie does it uh probably most famously mm-hmm we hold a little too long. The editor refuses to cut on a shot that is like this meditative or horrifying moment, right? I think that that's something that was probably created out of the directors watching all this footage and they're like, man, I'm watching this section and I'm just bored. But there's something about like at any time, at any time, a spooky ghost could come out. Um, And so they do that a lot, right? We lingering shots on, like, what is anyone looking at? And that's a moment where in my brain, I can never help but go, like, it's meant to be authentic, but all I think of is just like a robot who stops acting. Like, Wait, the person is, who's operating the camera has stopped. So is the, uh, right, because you understand, is it because you understand what's really happening? I think so. Okay. That is, it is hard to unsee what's happening. So that's possible that I am ruining the Blair Witch Project for you guys today. Uh, that's possible. <laughs> Because I agree that, you know, once you know how fake movies really are, it's hard to believe them anymore with stuff like this, this movie in particular. Uh, It is like, I am proposing a very defeatist kind of like, well, then all movies are facsimiles. Which is is a thing I've heard you say. Uh, Yes. And I don't think that's a big problem. I think this movie, first of all, it came out in a less cynical time, you know, like that late 90s before, before 2001 uh, is a time where even though we were ironic, we weren't as cynical as mm-hmm. we became pretty soon there. Or am I saying that we should watch movies in this way? I'm just saying it's how I watch movies. Yeah, right, right, now. right. <laughs> <laughs> I watched them defeated with cigarettes just like, on both sides of my mouth. Fucking, oh, is that an, oh, you're going to cut cool to a second up. shot? Yeah. A third shot. Oh, now we're in a movie. Okay. A fifth shot and a sixth oh, I shot. I bet he's got goals. I bet the scene bet has an objective. Goals. Oh, what is this? Credits? Everyone wants attention. <laughs> right, I'm, enough of my bit. I like that bit. Uh, anyway, so now let's talk a little bit about how they wrote the film and how they cast the film. So... Um, First thing everyone needs to know, they never not a single line of dialogue was ever written for this film. Uh they the most robust version of the film that was written was uh, a 35-page treatment that basically hit on major events. That's it. Um and whenever you decide I'm not going to write a line of dialogue, you've now committed to incredible trust to your actors. Like, yeah. like, like, profound trust in your actors, like because they're gonna write the movie. Now they're the writers. I really like. I really like the idea of the filmmakers feeling like. I know this isn't the situation, but if the filmmakers thought that they had like, they didn't. They th- felt like they're faking making movies. Like they secretly didn't know how to make a movie, <laughs> and it's like they and the, and someone told them that they have to make a movie. Like your assignment is to make a movie. And this is and so they're thinking it. of all the ways yeah. that like it's still a movie, but we can do the least amount of work possible. I mean, it's true that there. I'm going to say this very gently. I think a lot of people who who journey into let's make an improv film. Uh, 
are doing almost it, out of necessity are doing right. it because they can't write. Yeah. Because they, they, or they can't write or they don't. Ooh, that's, it's even more brutal than the opinion I thought you were going to have, but yeah, I could see that. I mean, or they don't, or they don't want to write, you know what I mean? Like, like, which to me is just another version. Well, they don't of can't. Uh, now, I mean, now there are no. comedy filmmakers who do this and I think are very talented and it produces great results. Like, uh, of course, you know, like I would say, Kirby Enthusiasm, right? Famously doesn't write lines. They write uh, mm-hmm. outlines. And, you know, Kirby Enthusiasm is pretty awesome, but, like, most people aren't Larry David. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, And also, he's pretty particular about who he lets be in his episodes. Play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and once you're good, then you stay on the cast forever. You know, like, that's kind of what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Versus, in my opinion, Judd Apatow's work in the last, like, 15 years which has not been scripted and has been pretty uh, flat, right? Like, I mean, that's my opinion. Sure. It's pretty flat. I think that there's many things that go into that assessment, but like, I think he did this thing where he was like, I write scenes and then like, we just have a character. Like it's very groundling school of um, improv, which is just like, all right, well, your character is a, a, a funny game. Like you're gonna mention, like find a bit. Okay, you found the bit, a char- a bit for a character. Okay, now just go and riff on that, and then the audience will be able to get and see a funny character, and we'll include them as much as we want, and that's their charm. You know, I think of like Will Ferrell on Eastbound and Down. It's almost like right. the bloopers to that are better than the thing. Of course they are. Why? Because it's its own thing. You just added it into the movie. Well, because and also, I don't want to get soapbox about no, it. No, you're but right. That's exactly how these things are done. Because the blooper reel is when we, the audience, no longer expect them to meet the narrative exactly. requirements. So then they're just mm-hmm. allowed to Rolodex jokes, which is what they're doing like, anyway. That's what they're actually doing. Yeah. You know? And then it, it feels, yeah, there's so many things that go into the psychology of why that is more effective in a way. But so Judd Apatow, Kirby Enthusiast, these. These entities aren't wrong for thinking that this is not a format to create content that is enjoyable. Sometimes it super it just works. Doesn't, it isn't necessarily the tool you need for narrative filmmaking. It's really hard to do it. I mean, I, I mean, you hear like guys like, not Mike Nichols. Uh, there's a guy who does a lot of improv-based films uh, who just sort of like, he'll, I'll, I'll think of it later. Like there, maybe it's Greengrass. It's somebody like that who like, you know, they get together with the actors and then they do rehearsals and they find the scene and then they record the scene. But I think it takes like a really seasoned director and really seasoned actors to go that far on that on the limb. Because, right. you know, uh, you need to know that at the end of the day, you can trust them to be in the scene authentically. Mm-hmm. And you need to know as a director that you're going to find a way to cover it uh, and also a way to bridge time if they get off on some weird tangent that needs to go, which they might do. Right. You know, that's the danger of improv. You don't control it. It goes a lot of different directions. And I'm not saying that actors are not talented writers or whatever. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying like, it means there's a lot of pressure on the actual production now, you know, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They like, everyone's got to be authentic. A trained person would be the person that you want to entrust with that moment to kind of control and, uh, you usher that moment into something worthy to be filmed. Uh, but th- this film didn't do that though, right? No, this film didn't do that. So 
that that leads to the second thing that they did, yeah. which is to to cast the film, they just put an ad in a in an acting publication called Backstage. And the casting call said, and this is a quote, an improvised feature film shot in a wooded location. It's gonna be hell. Most of you reading this probably shouldn't come. <laughs> I love the frankness in that. I it's did too. just like fuck it. I did too. Well Yeah, it's I, like I'm not look, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. This is not gonna get you much attention. We're just you wanna get paid to be in a movie? We're making one. <laughs> yeah, I mean well and also like they're looking for the person who's exactly their like their <clears throat> genetic match for this project, right? Like th- that's what they're looking for. In it, oh, I think there's ignorance a, a in it, takeaway. right? Has to be. Well, I'm saying arrogance, right? Like specifically with you reading this, probably shouldn't come. To me, the tone like of that's very like, dismissive. It's it's like saying like actor. You won't be able probably to turn off the idea of you being an actor. And what we're looking for is someone more real. <laughs> and I'm like, actors are people too. I mean, you can employ their very good gifts of uh, being like learned in a craft, but you can tell them to turn it off too. It's easy to turn stuff off. They're arguing you can't, which, you know, I think that that is I think- up for... Uh, debate. I think that tells you, it, you. I think you're right that it could be interpreted that way, and that it might be true. Uh, I think it also tells you, though, that they didn't plan on talking to the actors about their performance in an ongoing way. Like it does keep you into yeah, the process a little bit, right? Then. They want somebody who's going to be able to take the football and run most of the way. Like, yeah, they're the quarterback, but they're throwing a screen pass here. You're doing the running. You know, yeah, you're doing everything. Yeah. So like uh, there was an interview with Heather Donahue that I read. Uh, Heather Donahue mm-hmm. plays uh, the actress who's like the main character of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, that that interview was a was a teleportation back in time because, man, there were some dudes asking stupid ass questions. Uh, oh, yeah, just things like you look so much better with makeup on that kind of shit. Was good. Oh, my. Yeah. God. You can't believe it. You're like, wow, Kill man, me, really? Yeah. Uh, and also she was like kind of agreeing with some of it, which is like, man, that would never happen now. I just feel bad about it. Anyway, so that's an aside. So Heather Donahue. The true darkness of Blair Witch. Uh, right. Society. <laughs> Even in the woods, you can't escape it, Abe. Uh, you just can't escape the male gaze. <laughs> I mean, right? So, uh, all right. by the way, it is interesting that Heather Donahue was, was, uh, won them over in the ca- in the audition process because they wanted it to be uh, three men. Uh, and like I think casting her just, was a huge change to what this movie ends up being. Because um, she's the star of it, right? I think we can agree on that. Yeah, I mean, her character is the main filmmaker, yeah. the director. So. And the one kind of driving them forward on this film that they're making. Insane scenes. Right, right, right. Insane. Yeah. The woods. Oh my yeah. God. We'll talk. Yeah. About yeah. For it. sure. Just keep going. So here's a quote from her, from one of these interviews about how they, how they explained their improv process, like what it was going to be like to, to potential actors. Uh, so quote, they used every possible deterrent. When we actually got to the audition, there was another sign put out that said, we want natural people. If you've done improv before, which I had in a lot of wacky improv stuff, they said, 
if that's the kind of improv stuff you've done in the past, we probably don't want you. We want people who can behave completely naturally and can basically act in extreme circumstances. If you don't like that, go away. And then uh, when they went into the room, I know, unbelievable. When they went into the room, one of the directors who auditioned her basically said, like they, they gave her just a situation that she was supposed to improv. Situation was, you've served seven years behind your sentence. Why should we let you out on parole? And then she said whatever she said, and that was it. They cast her based on that response. It's actually a very effective, like, auditioning process if that's the thing you're looking for. I mean, like, honestly, okay. if I'm putting my head that's in fascinating. the... If I'm putting my head into the director's head okay, and saying, like, okay, if I'm seeking to make a movie like Blair Witch, that's not a bad tactic in audition because they either got it or they don't. Right. And, and that means that she nailed this answer and she just was like, I just fucking started talking. Uh, and it was trying to be as authentic as possible and they believed it. And you know what? That's, you're going to weed out a lot of people. 100%. Do that, you know? I, I mean, but I guess it is really one strong skill they want uh, and not sort of a plethora of tools for the actors. So I guess I agree with you. My initial instinct was to be like, what a fucking stupid idea. But like, it, I mean, but honestly, I think you're right. Stupid, <laughs> and you're right. Like, I, I'm the not idea. trying to belittle these guys, but like, as a concept, no. it feels very film school to me. Like, like very much like a yes, like just not willing to test the limits of the actor or the adjustability of the actor. Things you definitely want to know. They're like, no, nah, we're not going to do any of that. We're just like improv once and impress me, and then that's it. Uh, that seems right. very presumptuous to me, but. Maybe it was smart, like you're saying. Well, I'm just saying it's an effective way to achieve what I think they did want. Right. What I think they wanted is also stupid. Okay, so that's you're disagreeing with like the philosophy here, which I, I don't think get that it. philosophy. Um, I mean, I I don't disagree with this tactic. Uh, I think that if you only do this tactic, you're a dum dum. But you can you can this can be a fun exercise to do with your actors. Also, I, I think that the reason they asked this question, I should be clear, the reason they asked this question is because this is how they were going to direct. Right, exactly. Film. Right, that's correct. Versus if this is just a good audition question, I do think it's a good audition question. I think it's dumb that they sought out to not have control of the movie. Well, that's the thing. But and I think we... the methodology of the actor in order to also like answer that question and to be able to run with it, that is not dumb either. I'm not saying like being able to improv and be able to recreate and like run for a moment. I just don't think it's usually filmable. It's for the most part, you get footage that is like, kind of not cringy but like just like hard to swallow as real um but they buy it and uh we'll see it's interesting i mean i think that's all valid so i want to take one step back and make sure we explain to the audience who may not be directors uh or understand directing enough what the danger here is so uh essentially the danger is once you've decided you're not going to adjust the acting which Mm -hmm. Basically, they are. Basically, what's going to happen is they're not going to be on set with the actors. The actors are going to run around in the woods and film themselves. That's what's going to happen here. Yeah. Uh, so we're like going to talk about someone that. Someone else film the movie. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's you know. So we'll talk. But 
once you've decided that this is the appropriate test to know can they basically carry a scene entirely right. on their own but mm-hmm. what abe is saying and he's completely right is it takes uh it's a massive decision to uh, to let go of control of your film like that for a director and i would say probably is being made exclusively by budget right like it, like most likely because of the limitations of their budget they decided you know what the only way to get the authenticity that Dude, we want is to not direct the film i've said it hundreds of times and i'll say it I'm again ready. do not no one should ever underestimate the power of video art in the 90s okay i swear to god okay. Say more about I that. Have a whole, no, well, I mean, I just want to say that it's like a conspiracy theory I have. <laughs> that it was so potent in academic circles when you start fi- and that you start looking at between the lines and you see like we talked about it on this podcast when we talked about Demolition Man, like people really respected video art and they thought it was the future. And if you go back and you watch it, it's absolute dog shit. Okay, and it's funny. It's funny to watch. I enjoy watching them. Uh, also, they're so false and think that they think that they're Andy Warhol is what they're doing. Is that they're like, oh, we could be like VHS artists. Anyway, uh, but, but like also, that's I think that pas- that's the that's the mystique that they're dialing into. In my that's opinion. fair. These directors are going like. It's the flair of the. I mean, it's found footage film. It's the flair of the kind of like. Is it real? What is it? Right. I don't know. And I think that's the commitment to, that's the commitment to authenticity that we're like, that's what I mean by that is attempting to eliminate the possibility of feeling like this is a fiction work, like attempting to eliminate the fiction, the fictionality of it, you know, spent too much time in goddamn schools, art schools, that it's just like, it's up its own ass when it thinks about this opinion. Maybe I can't see. It's hard for me to reconstruct what a film school would be telling them in the early to mid nineties, which is when they were in film school. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, I can tell you that there's a lot of directors who use improvisational elements, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, you know, Cassavetes and Robert Altman and Christopher Guest and right. guys like that, but, but they wouldn't unhinged. do this. They would not do no, this. This is absolute lack of control. Right. This is. It's not. It's not like I don't know what the light's gonna be like, but we should probably film around sunset. Why? Because that's the angle is good. That's motivated thinking with a little bit of improv. That's different from this. Is like, let's go out there, and what's the scene? I don't know. We're, we're going to make it up. Really walk, yeah. walk toward that. And you're going to see a thing. React. <laughs> right. So I, so I want to save, I want to save so, some of that for, so we can okay, actually talk okay, about production okay. so that the audience knows exactly what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. So can I say though, just a couple of counterpoints? Cause I, th- I mostly agree with you, but just some counterpoints here f- to be fair to the movie. So like, I think they did a pretty good job with casting at the end of the day. Like, I think the actors are pretty good. In this film, oh yeah, I, you I know? have nothing against. I mean, yeah, well, I think they did a good job. I, yeah, when you think about what they had to do, which we're going to talk about in a minute, yeah. it's like, man, these guys are really good. Given what they had to deal with, like Heather Donahue yeah. and her very famous tearful camera shooting in her own face stuff, it's mm-hmm. like, man, that's a lot. That's a lot of commitment for an actor. You believe it? Too. Oh, it's terrifying. It's it's very good. Yeah. Um, it's like one of the most iconic scenes from a movie in like five or ten years, you know. Like, so it's pretty good. 
Um, mm-hmm. But they took some big dumb risks and it worked out for them. I, th- I think you have to say that it's luck. One of the actors was hired because they could carry a camera. Like they knew how to operate the camera. So like, well, you get the job then. So like, I don't know how sophisticated it is. I love that much. The more details you hear about it, the more you think it's a scam. Like somehow the actors are going to get scammed by well, the she, end of this. So that's a funny thing about this movie. Heather Donahue's family was like, this is a scam. You're going to get like lost <laughs> yeah. in the woods. And it's a, she, it's a definite thing you should be thinking yeah, if these is the For sure. She hear. wasn't sure about it. Uh, you know, like none of them were, and I think that's completely reasonable given what the situation is. So, um, just briefly, guys, uh, I want to just mention a couple of times where a complete improvisation was used effectively as a casting tool, just to kind of give some context to the audience. So, one very famous example of it that you guys can all Google is there was an improvisational audition for the the character of Elliot from E.T. I knew you're gonna. I knew. Yeah. It. I knew well, it. Yeah. yeah, but it's so awesome, right? Like, so you can go back and watch the kid who got the job, improving yeah. lines as a response to a casting director, and you can see how talented he is. Like, he's incredibly talented. And then you hear Steven Spielberg <laughs> said, "I think he got the job," which is amazing. Um. So it's like so. It's not like nobody uses it. You know, like it's it's used, but it's usually more structured. And yeah, you can see how the kid like works up to yeah. it. Like he starts the line, yeah. but then he stops and then he thinks for a bit and then he does it again. Like he's working right. on he's, yes. the, how to read it. That is different from like, right now I need you to be 100% Create perfect. A story. Yeah. They do anything and they go perfect. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it's, what we wanted. This ain't a scam. I mean, right. It. I mean, again, it is the circumstances they're trying to create. So I, you know, I kind of nod at it like, okay, I guess it makes sense, but boy, it's a lot of problems. Um, yeah, so I guess like <laughs> another crazy thing is that uh, they're using a lot of they're they're putting a lot of energy into avoiding a casting call, uh, <laughs> which is a thing that you would never do usually as an independent filmmaker. Like normally, as an independent filmmaker. There are two options. There, there is okay. I'm going to see the the huge swath of humanity who wants to be in a feature film, and try to find a couple diamonds in the rough. And I'm going to spend a month on this. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what's going to happen. And you know that's it. So that's one approach. And you know sometimes that works out where you find some great talent. Another thing that a lot of independent films end up doing is they end up spending more money on this one job than any other job per you know in terms of hours worked for pay. And that job is a casting director because a casting director is going to whittle the search down to look, look to the 20 or 30 people they know who are very talented actors who they've met through workshops and stuff. Um, So like, you know, that is how most independent films choose to approach this subject because what they really want is very high level talent for their proof of concept or for their short film or whatever. Like, this is the typical independent route, right? It's how J.K. Simmons got connected to Whiplash. Like, they met... I I don't know exactly that story, but, like, the short version is basically J.K. Simmons agreed to be in a short film version of Whiplash that was successful enough, in part because he was in it, that they got funding to make the film, and then they made a fantastic film, you know? So it's the opposite approach. Like instead of like doing a careful targeted 
plan, this is the exact opposite of like I'm gonna whittle everything out and then like the right the right person's gonna show <laughs> up on of my door. Instead writing something that like you handed to like a famous person and they read it and they're like this affected and touched me. I want to be involved in this project. You're like. Who wants to be in the project? Right. We'll take Right. Anybody. Run this gauntlet for me, you fool. And like most people won't. And so that's how they know who their right actor is. It's very dumb. I swear to God. This the this movie is like the is this movie the biggest heist of all time? <laughs> I mean you're getting a little intense here. Like <laughs> a little intense. No, I just think that the process that they chose, it's incredible that it worked out for them. It shouldn't have worked uh, out, you know? Yeah, for the budget they had. Right. Well, that's the thing is I think the budget sort of drove them to take a lot of big risks, uh, and that's the biggest one. Okay. So now, production. So when they actually shot the film, um, they shot it for eight days, and basically it was eight continuous days. Okay. Now, during that time, this is my understanding, the actors never talked to the filmmakers directly. Okay? That's wild. Now, I've heard maybe there might have been one or two chats like – but like like one or two like verbal interactions with like other key crew members to make sure they the actors who were operating camera by the way the directors came down in their helicopter <laughs> get out of here <laughs> no no for they real were like yeah keep uh, no eat, they're eating caviar and drinking champagne. yeah they're spending twenty five like, grand keep doing what you're doing they're, actors they're spending twenty five grand on helicopter rides and caviar no for real so like. <laughs> Uh, like I think there was like one or two interactions with like a production designer where they were like, "Hey, you got to capture this piece of the prop on film, or we don't understand what it is." Right, that yeah, kind of right. stuff. But for the most part, this is what happened. So the actors they yeah. go into the woods, and then they basically they improv all day, and then they use a GPS satellite to like walk to a milk crate. In that milk crate is a note for each of them. They all get notes, and the notes basically tell them, okay, so tomorrow you're going to hit this beat, and you're going to focus on this adjustment, right? And so then the actors, basically, they don't talk to each other about the adjustment. They just wake up the next day, and then they work out scenes, and they film them. So like, mm-hmm. And of course, because they're actors, they're filming everything. They're filming literally every single thing, right? Because that's what you would do, right? So in one sense, it's incredibly authentic because they are trying to have a real feeling lost in the woods, trying to find their way, uh, feeling overwhelmed and anxious. Like they've created the the best version of those circumstances that they can without putting them in actual danger. So on that, on that sense, it's authentic on another sense altogether. It's just letting the actors kind of like do a shotgun blast of footage and, uh, making them work 24 hours a day and the directors are basically directing the film from the editing lab. Like, that's what's happening, right. is they're cutting the footage together and be like, okay, well, I think we need this beat now. I think we need... And they're rewriting the film as they go. <clears throat> that's what's happening. Right. Um, now, just a quick note, this is not legal. <laughs> like, you couldn't do this again today, I don't think. Or if This is not union legal. Uh, I don't think you can make people work 24-hour days, eight days straight. I don't think you can do that. In this country, I think you can. Uh, I think there's labor laws preventing the it. way that I'm pretty mm, sure there's labor laws preventing it. We should look into that. Because if you're just a bunch of pals, you can do anything you want for 48 hours. I mean, you the government's I mean? not going to come arrest you unless they find out I'm about saying. it and somebody or somebody it's complains. It's against the spirit of the law, definitely, and it should be illegal, I guess. You know, like, but like, 
technically, I think there's ways around this. I mean, I think the way around it is the actors didn't sue. Or, like, go to the cops. Exactly. If they had, it, you know, it would have been... Or they, you know, signed it. And they said, yes, this is the stipulation for how we're going to film it. Do you agree to these conditions? Okay. I'm yes. going to hold on to the possibility that even if they'd agreed, it still might be illegal. Because... <laughs> oh, I like your idea better because, once again, I'm going to really hit hard. This is actually an elaborate heist, and the filmmakers are brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, you're getting more and more sardonic. I like it. As we approach the structure where the witch <laughs> might live. Uh, so like, here's the other thing about the circumstance. So, okay. So, I mean, if you've watched this movie recently, which I hope you have, uh, you know, most of the daytime stuff is we're lost and then they're fighting, right? Like that's most of the daytime stuff. And then Mm -hmm. at night, there's always some crazy thing. So the way they film that is the actors would go to sleep and then the filmmakers would actually just creep up on their camp and make these noises and stuff. And then they would be, (laughs) they would have to wake up and react to it. So again, they're trying to create the most authentic experience they can for the actors. And they're doing that, but it basically means the actors never really get a full night's sleep. Like they basically are working in a nightmare. The directors are monsters. Yeah. They're mo- they're the witches. They're I mean, I, I guess I want to. I'm pointing out the illegality of it. I'm not here to like completely condemn them for it because it is the way to do this movie. Uh, and if everybody uh, signed up, I feel like, well, you know, uh, it. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, we flip flop places now because I I wouldn't want to do anything illegal or damaging, but I also understand the necessity of these decisions. See, I don't even understand the necessity. Oh, really? Okay. Uh. I have no problem with a bunch of people agreeing upon doing this stuff and going and doing it. I don't think it needs to be problematic if it wasn't because if they were like, that actually is a cool, if you talk and are communicative with your actors and you're like, this is the way we really want to do it. Would you be okay with that? Like, we're going to let you know up front, you'll be sleeping and we're going to interrupt you to get it. Which they did. Right. Or like in a time where like, we're going to give you a rest so you still sleep, but like, just know, like, we want the feeling that it can happen at any time, even when you're not on. Do you agree to this kind of spirit of that? And if they're like, that sounds like a really cool way to make a movie and an experience, because I've done like experiments like that too. You know, I think like, they did. I don't. Wouldn't it be cool if we just made a movie this way? But just to be clear, I'm pretty sure the directors told them what the plan was. I don't think it was like exactly. here, go out in the so woods. I, and- I don't think legality and like hanging something on them like for this like i don't it, it sounds like it's a non-issue because i feel like these stories would come out have come out of course such they would a sensational yeah. movie that i feel like the aftermath of it at least maybe it wouldn't happen at the time these actors if they were made embittered by this situation would be like uh i s- still think that they did it in a wrong way i think everyone was consenting obviously and probably signed things to that effect i mean right so just to like reiterate, so what are the directors doing this whole time? The directors are probably sitting in an edit bay somewhere. Um, maybe they're editing it themselves or with another editor or whatever. And they're just going through dailies all day. And then probably on a whiteboard somewhere. In the golden bathtubs. <laughs> probably on a bath probably on like a whiteboard somewhere. They're sort of structuring the movie and being like, okay, we need this beat here. They're they're doing a writing thing, basically. They're looking at, uh, we have this, but we need this to make it right. useful. But the tr- sort of how you would do with a documentary, honestly. That's how a lot of documentaries yeah. deal with their narrative. But the tricky thing here is that uh, they're on a limited time. They only have eight days. And 
I mean, you know, the actors are putting like four or five hours of film every day, right? Like, I mean, of course they are. They're they're rolling yeah. all day. In fact, most of what they found in the milk crates, aside from notes, were batteries. They're just constantly going through batteries. I mean, they, you know, in the temporality of the film, there's like four days pass, and so that means in eight days they made four days. So that means they're shooting like afternoons, nights. You know, like there's no all. They had to track the time. I mean, right? That's like, an, yeah. Just time by of looking day at the stuff. sun and the yeah. shots. Like there's multiple movements, and so they had to figure that out, which means they're probably working like 16-hour days probably. Almost certainly. And that means that the directors then are having to sift through, you know, five hours a day of footage, which is right. hard because that gives you, you know, then you're working another 10 hours to make sure. You have a window what can I do two with hours this? to tell yeah, them exactly. before they sleep exactly. or if you want to adjust things. There's no ways to like. All right, everyone, we're going to actually shoot this now because we realize we want to go this way with it. Yeah. Like you don't have a lot of space for Audible. So it's the longest week you know? of anybody's life. Like it's a very, very long week uh, or very long eight days, right? So one advantage to this approach, and the reason I think they're really doing it more than even than their commitment to authenticity, is if they tried to make this movie for that budget uh, and like actually go and direct the actors and have a crew and stuff, it's not possible. It's just physically impossible. It would go slower, and they would you would spend all kinds of money on crew and transportation right. and lunch and lighting and all this stuff. And you build a small yeah. village in order to because you have to. That's what it takes to get a show. That's you know, yeah. if you want control, if you want control, if you right. don't want control, you can abandon all. Of that. Well, that's the thing is, and that's what's so interesting about this film in general is the only way to make this film is to abandon control. And, like, I just think most people wouldn't accept that. You know, like, just most people would not accept it. And I think they paid a price for that decision. One of the one of those yes. prices being that, like, I'm not sure anybody believed they really knew how to make a movie. Like, Eduardo, who's kind of the only guy that really branched out from Blair Witch, it took him seven years to make his next big film. You see the Tom Sizemore looking I think so. I forgot what they all... Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. But like most of the rest of them didn't really do a lot of work again. I mean, one of the actors did. Right. But like in terms of the directors, Eduardo's the one who sort of became a real director after that. But it took him seven years after Blair Witch to make his next project. So that's mm. that means they didn't really believe that he could direct the film. Right? It has to mean that. Because otherwise they would have been pouring offers on him, right? Or maybe he's really picky, but I, that doesn't seem true, right? I've, everybody makes a film when they get the spotlight on them, right? I mean, it's very unique to have a film like this to be such a success to not get more work. Like, imagine someone had this kind of, I spent this much money. Like, the literally the story of uh, Robert Rodriguez, right. you know? I spent $10,000 and I made El Mariachi. All right. Well, here's ten for Desperado. Right. You know, like ten million, by the way. And it's like, okay, so that's how it works. The, it seems like their careers didn't go that way because everyone kind of knew that the key to the success was the idea, not the execution. I mean, that's clearly what Hollywood took from it. Uh, and they that's... might not be wrong about that. Uh, they might not be wrong about that. But so, okay. Um, they also didn't trust him that much as writers, though. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like at least they should have thought, like, you guys are at least innovative thinkers in terms of how to make movies, but they were not interested in that right. at all. Um, okay, so let's talk about the third 
sort of stage of this filmmaking, and that is marketing. Um, so mm-hmm. this film is often advertised as the first film that advertised on the internet. Um, and I would say that might be its most enduring legacy, ultimately. Um, because they didn't have any money for trailers or self-distribution or anything, the way they made buzz about the movie was they started a website for the film that made the film seem like it was an actual documentary and that the three filmmakers were missing. Um, And that campaign was snapped up by Artisan when they purchased the movie. And Artisan tried to do a standard marketing campaign with it and scrapped it almost immediately because they realized, like, oh, no, embracing the idea that this is real is the only reason people will see it. You know, like, that, or not the only, but the biggest reason why people will see it. So, like, when I say try to do a traditional campaign, what I mean is they were taking, like, you know, crazy horror pictures of, like, the actors, like, crucified to the sticks and stuff. <laughs> like, they were doing that stuff that's, like, yeah. stupid, <laughs> you know? Like, uh, it's, the, oh, it's the fucking cutest thing isn't ever. It? I yeah, it's great. So, like, then they eventually realize, like, why are we, like, you know what I mean? It's it's easier for it to be real. Like, that's actually easier and cheaper, mm-hmm. and it drove interest. And it drives Which, interest. And it did. On, like, an insane it amount. Did. Because no one had ever done No one had that. really done that before. And these guys were willing to take such a big risk uh, of, co- like, abandoning control that it seemed very real. Right. Uh, it seemed plausible. And... Uh, ultimately, it kind of took months, like it, like for the fact of it not being a, f- a real movie to actually permeate, to be like popular. Yeah, yeah like the consensus. the actors weren't even invited to several very public screenings to keep the idea alive. It's such a it fun, sucks, right? You know, like, Doesn't it suck for the actor? Yeah, because that's like currency for some actors. It's currency you know? for all actors. None of those three were named actors. So like they needed this moment, you know, like, uh, and eventually they got their shot, you know, of course, but like still imagine you'd made this fantastic film and they were like, okay, so you can't be part of it. The biggest it's like, yeah, go away, go away. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, but this is when I I did this. Like everyone should ask me, you know, think about like, uh, what's her name? Uh, Anna Taylor joy at right at, uh, Queen's Gambit, yeah. Queen's Gambit. It's like they just like, all right, she's gonna be in everything, and look, like everyone's gonna interview her, and it's gonna be everything peace in the world. It's like you lo- you lost that opportunity right. because of this thing that they wanted to do with the marketing of this movie that we all agree is actually better. You probably agree it's g- it very smart, right? I think the <laughs> yeah. actors, but also fucked. Probably had a bittersweet feeling about it because I think they, I think they're, they get it, right? Of course they get it. Right. But it's like, hey man, I did this film and went, like, I swam in the mud for you so that I could have a career and you're robbing me of that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I, and also I did much harder work on this film than actors normally have to do. Like, much harder work. I had to operate a camera and so on. Paid less. Yeah. But I know I'm an unknown and I should be grateful, but also, you know, like, usually there's no reason you have to, but it just feels like every movie gets at least a shot to do this. This is the usual acceptable kind of, like, terms. Uh, You know, they have red carpets. They, you know, 
<clears throat> do that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem important, but it is. It's about building your name and the cachet that you now have because people know your face and saw right. you literally on camera again. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So, in hindsight, I just think it's fascinating that we have this like very early days of the internet community. And like we have a pretty clear sample of like what the internet community is going to be like forever, or at least up until this very day, which is this advertising campaign is 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 a conspiracy theory misinformation. Like that's what it is, and it's designed to flare outrage and intrigue, and people ate it up. You know, like uh, yeah. uh, in a way that TV couldn't do, uh, but only but the internet can, and these guys had that figured out. And, uh, you know, and they sort of gave us that blueprint, which we're still living with to this very day. Although, as I'm sure Abe's about to say, uh, it's, I think it's impossible for somebody to generate the belief that a movie like this is fake now, like, or is real now. I don't, yeah, I don't think you could yeah. make that it's happen. It's a one time, yeah. it's a, it's a seal. It's a seal that can be broken. They broke, they broke the seal that makes this seminal. It doesn't make it good. But it is true that the ideas behind this, what fostered this genre, and what uh, we reacted to the first time we all watched Blair Witch Project, right. I mean, that is authentically an experience. That that is a a, a real reaction. That is they pulled that off, I, and that it is good in that. Regard. And like everybody walked out of the Blair Witch with the same like, did that really happen? Like that that was the only thing people were talking about from that movie. Mm. I remember. I, I went with a friend. I don't know. I think by the end, of, by the end of the movie, you're like written and directed by. You know, well, like I don't think starring. people know what that means in the same way. Or they, I, I think yeah, nineteen people know what that means. Wait, wait. I think nineteen ninety nine film audiences didn't have as strong a grasp on well, what that just means. Turned off when the credits happen. Well, maybe. I don't, I don't I think don't they're think thinking so. about the credits. They might have walked out before the credits, man. I think maybe kids, because kids don't want to care. I I was pretty young that. when this came Who out, cares? so that's that's possible. So I think that's more of just you being fooled by the trope because we're a kid and we're like sh- kind of sh- like shitty at s- seeing that. But I think anyone, any adult who'd seen movies, I, I, basically. I mean, just knows. like the interviews and stuff say the opposite though. I'm just telling you like people, yeah, really? people okay. were like the first bit in the Heather Donahue oh, interview was like, Oh, so you're not dead. Ha 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 ha. You know, like that was the first bit. But that's, that's the joke though. They're still having well, it. Right. Yeah. It's the joke because for a period of time, people believed it, you know, or yeah, they weren't think- sure. Like one of like in, in that. All right. zone, yeah. You know? I don't actually know. I don't actually know if people did or didn't. So. I mean, her I response say. was the the vibe I got from her interviews was basically like, yeah, people, you know, for a while, I, it, it took a while to clarify I wasn't dead. I had she had family members that were asking if she had died. Okay. If she had died. Asking Not asking her, her asking her, her parents, obviously, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know. I, I right. mean, yeah, man, yeah. I, it's it's a more naive time, right? Like, or I guess, maybe it yeah. shows. I just feel like this is also the same. Like, 1999 was also the Matrix, and people were getting their head around like some real shit. Those two very cool movies uh, for that year, though, right? Like, like very cool. I mean, this is. I also cool. don't love this movie, 
um, at all. I, 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 watching it this time, first of all, I was like, oh, this isn't shaky. Uh, but like, I thought, uh, it's fine. It's, it's a lot of meandering, really, for not a lot of steak. A lot of sizzle, yeah. not a lot of steak. Um, yeah, exactly. And it only really worked when it felt authentic, which now, because as, as you said, film, like found footage films have sort of advanced, it no longer feels authentic. Um, yeah, they have and they haven't in some ways. They stuck in the same tropes, but yeah, the the uh, lexicon is more refined. I just appreciated, honestly, I appreciated the acting. I, like I, I, I really was impressed with knowing what these actors had to go through. With they're really strong beats, but man, oh man, I can I confide that I uh uh th- so there's that moment where um the character that uh um. Uh, what's her name? What's Heather her name? Donahue. I keep forgetting. Heather Donahue, the character that Heather Donahue. I'm gonna, plays, I'm gonna actually look up their names so is, we know what their names are. Is screaming at one of the guys. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. About her film and, and just stuff. Be, after he kicked, he kicked the map into the oh, water. Yeah, that's right. He throws the map away. Right. Right. He's like, I didn't. I just fucking. It didn't matter, man. I just kicked it in. Uh, and then. That's the guy I was thinking. It looks like Tom Sizemore. He does. Uh, He's and good, then you, too, in this film. And then, times. You, and then she just loses her mind. You're right that it feels authentic in a time before we had, like, TikTok right. and did, right. like, videos of ourselves talking to stuff. Like, it isn't... It's, like, a version of reality that they're, like, maybe that's what, like, being on... Like, using a camera and like having fun with the pals or something like that. That that's what filmmakers do because they're like, like cameras and <laughs> want to just record their friends or whatever. And like, some people like to do that. I know, I know that that's, that's yeah. What is TikTok? But like, I'm saying that there's like conventions built that be, become immediately identifiable as this is, this is what it means to be like real. And that is so far removed from what society, like what we see in Blair Witch Project, is so far removed from what we actually perceive as authentic now that it's like an impossible notion to be like, looking back and watching it, this does feel authentic. It feels entirely unauthentic. When they're screaming at each other, it just feels like someone told you that you need to scream at each other for a while, right? <laughs> That, isn't that the well, feeling you get from those improvs? I mean, yes, I feel the actor's stuff. I really think this is one of those cases where knowing how films are made um, and also time having passed, like just the magic of it doesn't super work. Um, sure. I, th- yeah. I, I, I think that's what's going on here, but I agree that it's not, it's not flawless. It doesn't have that sort of like muted thing that a lot of real home videos have. Of like the person just being a normal person who doesn't freak out about stuff or be dramatic, which is what most people are like. like. Especially when they're being filmed. Most people are sort of like fairly neutral on camera because, you know. Right, because it's not a consideration right. as much. It's just like there's a right. microphone in front of me, but I can casually talk right. to you versus losing their mind con- and being like, dramatic. I think what you're yeah. right. There was more of a consideration back then. Like people didn't know how to be in front of camera. There's an awkwardness about it, um, and it it's it's like perceived as very fake because By you, you feel you them being you feel them feeling the camera, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I watched this about a month ago, so I wish I had a fresher. That's when I started braining on this idea. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember. I mean, I guess my expectations were pretty low. Like I get like the second right. time I watched it, I was like, okay, so this is all horseshit. So now let's see what they did. And I was like, oh, it's actually kind of good. Uh, and I got more invested in the conflicts of the three characters, which is still very repetitive, and m- more dis- yes, more disappointed is. by the witch stuff. Like this time when I watched it, the yes, witch stuff was like, what very, is? There's nothing here. Oh, it's got the most bare. That's the other thing is that as far as the pantheon of like horror movies go, even found footage films, they did so little work in making it spooky. It's literally interviews for like 20 minutes about like something's going on out there and like look for these little imagery plant and payoff maybe there'll be a woman which most of them don't pay off it's more of what it's doing into our brain where it's like okay so it's a it's a woman she's dressed in white she's got hair I everywhere think that's... Just, oh no she she's not hairy you know like we don't she floats on the ground like there's a bunch of details but no one knows and then you go out to the spooky woods and people hear things for the next but again hour. that's like, it's an hour and 20 minutes that's also. pretty consistent with the paranormal documentary right. genre because again they're not trying to it make isn't... a they're not trying to make a horror film in the same like like oh, that's yeah. they're not that's doing right. the you know scare jump scare thing they're not doing that they're doing like a fake documentary on a real thing which means the scares are all like is it real or not that's the whole question of the film. Uh, both is the Blair Witch real, and then is this thing I'm watching real? Like those are the two things that. And so yeah. it is light on content because it's trying a format where right. there wouldn't be a lot of content in a paranormal documentary. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna be like, oh, there was right. that wind just... that one time. That is weird. That's the whole movie. You know, like that's the whole like movie. Right. Yeah. That's the idea. Um, for better. I'm for just worse. saying it's very bare, but like. By giving, and I was saying that at the beginning, like by giving a little bit of detail, it goes a long way because of our imagination. But there is, it's a lot that that's that's what this film did to us is that when you do go back and look at it, there is so little there that you realize how much your brain was working for them. And I think the format does ask you to do that. I, um, I think you're I think right. Found footage films Absolutely. in general beg you to see beyond the frame because you're so bored by just being locked in this frame forever I, that you go like all right something's going on downstairs or you're going like i bet there was a scene in between that something happened because now they're acting this way right. to each other which you they know, do cloverfield did that they a lot. do do that where they sort of like skip the dramatic thing that happened and then kind of recap it instead of having the scene it's just every scene beat in the interpersonal stuff is so bonkers to me like she will not let the camera down, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, there's just but so that many makes aspects. sense to you, right? I, I see. I would defend that. I, no, but wait, wait, wait. I would defend ex- that yeah, okay. by saying, I think this. I think this was kind of a smart move by the filmmakers to put a woman as the director of the film in the film, because she, because it put it makes a tension there. That never gets addressed of like, do they really respect her and listen to her? And she feels defensive about it for obvious reasons. So she never lets they up. They do play on And it's that. smart. They it's really smart because that. I, I, that feels authentic to me. I could see that conflict, you know? Right. But it's, 
Yeah, it is there. I think she plays she it up, play it up, and I think it's an it's a pretty good thing. But sh- they don't like it's. It feels like I know there's no scripting, but it feels like it was scripted at one point where one of the men say to her like, "I just don't trust you." I think he does say and it's, that. It's like up in the top, film, right? yeah, yeah. It's like very up top, and he's like, and it, and it's just like it's when they first kind of get lost. It's like, and she's like, "No, no, no, I know where we're going," kind of thing. And then of course. She's basically kind of been lying about that because self something magical I guess. is happening with the. Well, woods. I think that's the implication. Like it's either right? that she's not good at navigating because they should have gotten out of there in two hours, right? Either she's not great at navigating, or something magical is or happening both. in the woods. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. Or both, I guess. But I, I did. You don't need both. You just Agreed. need one explanation of why they're still there. Um. So the implication is that the other characters don't assume the supernatural at first, so they blame her, and it beca- creates this very contentious two men versus a woman kind of thing. And I think she's very smart to kind of up that kind of tension. Uh, but the men do stay away from it, which is probably another uh, indication of uh, its authenticity, because men wouldn't want that kind of thing to be... Look, this is not just the men like ganging up on the women. You know, what they I wouldn't mean? want like, that to be how that it's doesn't perceived. help their argument. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to be perceived right. that way. So everyone's doing the right thing. It's just so over the top. And in and in terms of like just getting back to the camera bit, uh, not just the anger about like how they're acting and how people like I hate that you're doing you're doing all this camera stuff. Uh, it really is. It really does feel forced to to me. What, what, when I what watched feels it, forced? What even feels though forced? they give the explanation, what feels forced? Forcing the the filming to always. Oh, be the happen. fact that they're always on on camera. Uh, I see. Fact, I see. The fact that she keeps recording, and they, despite the fact that they're you know going to die of hunger or, or right. Why whatever. are we still making the film? Um, I I that is a stretch now. And she does explain this is all I have, but like they didn't do the work for me to understand why that necessarily yeah. is true. I guess I can believe it, so I'll let it lie. But like ultimately, ultimately, I think that the film in its striving for authenticity. La- there's a loudness to that authenticity. Like it's oh, it's too much. Uh, it went too far, or it's trying to convince yeah, it's you. One too of those things. It's trying to convince you so hard that maybe at the time it did work, and you know what? More to its credit, that makes, in a way, my comment irrelevant because it was not made for an audience in 2021. It was made for an audience in 1999, but just me looking at it as a piece of art it doesn't uh it doesn't feel authentic at all uh it's hard for me to argue with that because i it's hard for me to unknow what i know about it uh so yeah, that might exactly. be so maybe it's just us being film school i don't know i nerds. i mean i think a lot of 2021 audience would probably view this with more suspicion I mean, especially because at this point it's got like an infamy to like it's like it's a pretty infamous movie. Um, so I don't know if anybody has what you might call like an authentic experience of this film anymore. Like I don't even know what that would mean. Um, right. So I can't disagree with you about it. I can say I agree that the beats to keep the film going felt a little forced. I'm glad you said that because that reminded me that I felt that way when I watched it. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that feels like a film convention. 
But like in general, the actors playing the people that they are and like, you know, trying to navigate this situation, like they were pretty good. Uh, and I am impressed with that given what, given the fact that they're not name actors, you know what I mean? Like they're just all fresh, uh, early in their career and that they're working in these circumstances. I'm, I'd be very happy with these performances. Wouldn't you? Like not, not necessarily the I beats, think... but the, but the performances. <clears throat> I want to say in the same breath that I think that you're being generous, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think that the performances are good considering what they had. Yeah. I mean, sometimes uh, it feels very drama-y. I, for sure. But I... Right. Here's the thing. is I keep coming back to, because of the convention of how they shot it, how they filmed it, the, the improv nature of it, the, the lack of control... The, so therefore the lack of a guiding kind of eye that dictates the taste and tone and, um, you know, kind of can govern the moment to moment impulses of the movie. Since that doesn't exist, there's no voice in other words. Um, it will always be something that I will, I will just be like it. It's, there's no way I can make, there's no way this can feel right. Yeah, it just can't feel good. Me. Well, so it's not it's not by the failure of the actors. It's just that the setup. I don't like the way they made this okay. film. <laughs> you, so you reject it like uh, like on a on an aesthetic, a moral level, kind of. Not I, there's no morality in this. Uh, like I, I honestly. The, like what you, I thought you were also being generous with like, this would be elite, totally illegal today, by the way, it would be you know, though. like, I, you know, like yes and no. I mean, like, I don't think that that's the thing I'm trying to point out. I don't think if they're like method acting, we talk about this, this is a big thing that people talk about on Twitter right. and stuff. Uh, yeah. you know, like I have no problem with Me method neither. acting as a whole. Yeah. There, there are, People who have very strong opinions about it, like never, never, why method act? There's no point to it. I'm like, there's always a point to it, but uh, there's always a point to a certain methodology being approached in a certain way. It just has to be done in the right way. You're reacting to the fact that it was done in a wrong way or the results weren't good. Or enough. that somebody abused the process. But it doesn't mean that method acting as a whole is necessarily Right. That's bad. a baby with a bathwater situation. Be, That's what it is. Exactly. It has to be it has to be like tailored to the instance that it's that it's most applicable for. Like if you're just doing a comedy like a Step Brothers or something like that, what does method acting earn you? I, I don't think it earned anyone anything. No one was method on that set. You unless know? you were, unless it took, like, I can imagine somebody like Michael Richards being method right. to, to get into the headspace of a character like Kramer. Like that, that, that do, I understand. You, read the, um, you know, do you watch succession? I love succession. Or did you follow the story uh, about Jeremy strong that happens? I a couldn't while figure out ago? why people were pissed off at him. Like, what did he do? That was so bad. I also was kind of in the same yeah. boat. Like I, I just, I, I kind of read it and I was like, this all makes sense. <laughs> you know, like that's, I was just like, this I, is fine. I mean, I think that uh, he's, and I understand that people had a lot of polarizing. It sounded to me it. like he was supposed to view the role with disdain, the way they view the role with disdain. And it's like, that's not how you get a good performance. Like he needs to right. humanize and empathize with this character. It's the only way Whatever he can do he's this. Doing, 
whatever he's doing is working. And I, I'm not talking about method acting as much anymore. I want to bring it back to right. Blair Witch Project. What I'm saying is the methodology doesn't fit the narrative. Um, and like in the case of like the Jeremy Strong interview and such, and, you know, some other more method, you know, you know, if we look like on the waterfront or like a Marlon Brando or something like that, there's a lot of argument to be had about specific methodologies in films and their approach you seeing the benefit on screen, it's almost magical because you're like, whatever was necessary, all I can say is that was an authentic moment. And are you moment. saying that's not true This of is that? kind of the reverse. Of this movie? Okay, I'm go saying ahead. of this movie, in the search for so much authenticity and identifying like what aspects make things authentic, like holding on a shot for too long or screaming loudly at each other because that sometimes happens. Uh, they make a show of it and go so far in order to ensure that they have gotten it. And then they included it in the movie, uh, like after editing, they could have cut some of that stuff out, but they so, didn't. So wait, 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 um, let, me, let me, so let me, let me jump in here. So yeah. it sounds like what you're ultimately saying is that this movie in its attempt to be an authentic process actually accomplished the opposite in your opinion. And you're in my opinion, the methodology they went for went the other direction. Authenticity. They kind of got a, a way more authentic product by going the other like, as in raising money and, and doing a film for real, like the studio method. I think so. I don't know. Uh, you could plan, know. you could plan, well, the found footage stuff, you can just well, shoot. I, I, like, they're not wrong right. about that. You can just go out there and shoot it. It can be minimal crew. You don't have to pay a lot of people. But the whole idea of, like, not being on set and making it feel real for the the people, I don't think that, that was You don't really think that necessary. that added anything? Especially the way that they auditioned everyone. They were like, create something out of nothing. I'm opposed, I'm opposed okay. to making a film like that uh, because I wouldn't want to. I like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to and I yeah. I'm like I'm not making a movie just so that another piece of entertainment exists. I'm making a movie so that uh, a story I feel passionately about exists the way I see it. And they I mean those are like as as narcissistic as that may be. That's the goal. These guys mm-hmm. didn't seem to think that it mattered how they saw it. Uh, although I will say again, I do think for the genre that they're parodying or not parodying, um, imitating, I guess is a better word that they're imitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did accomplish it. Um, so may, so they might've known, they, they might have known better than us what they were trying to do and they might've gotten it, I mean, but it sure seems like it happened accidentally or be, or it sure seems like everything they tried worked out better than they should have expected it to. Right? That's my critique of it. You're saying, like, no, it's the wrong method, which is hard for me to say. I think those aren't mutually exclusive to me. Yeah, I just have a hard time going quite as far as you because I am not sure that these guys can make this movie by doing it the real way. I don't know. I mean, maybe they can. I I don't know if they can. I'm not... Yeah, who who knows? Man. Like if I, um, if it was but, being directed by you know fucking Wes Craven or whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah, of course it'd be better if he directed it himself instead of through coffee canned notes in a milk crate. Absolutely, right? Uh, yeah, I'm just 
I'm just saying the filmmaking got in the way when it was supposed to kind of be freeing. Uh, and that, that was my read of it. Like what, like what improves? Um, I do think that it, there, there's a lot of strategies they use that are very good. And that, and so there's that tactic, com- tactics conversation. And then there's kind of the more philosophical of like, are they making a movie? Like the loss, lack of control. Is that like, how did they do that? Those are two different. They are slightly different. Uh, but the lack of control thing just dictates every single other piece of what this is. I mean, it really yeah. does. Uh, it's an, a mission they made really early, and they said this is the way we're going to do it. And I think uh, – I don't know if they were inflexible about it, but it seems like they uh, may it, have I mean, been. It seems like they put themselves in a situation where they couldn't change it. Um, right. And I'm like, why? Right. Like That, that sounds so too confining for you. that's one problem I have okay. with it. I can accept that. that. Yeah. That's one problem. That's that. That's neither here nor there. That's more of a philosophical disagreement with how movies are made okay. for me, uh, which is who cares? Like as terms of the movie and if it's good and the reason I call it a trash movie is kind of a separate notion, which is because of the mechanics of the thing that I just said, the result is that it feels like a really loud facsimile of trying to be true as opposed to being true. I'm curious. They treat it like we're supposed to believe it's true. I know that a lot of people did. The lexicon of 2001 is different than now. 100%. Now I'm aware that I'm making an argument in hindsight and that's 2020. I'm just saying when you go back and look at it, you see those seams so clearly that you realize that the advances that they've made in like, uh, in in terms of like the found footage genre now is much better. It is better. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm. I guess my view on it is like sort of appreciating it as a historical artifact. Like Very like true. when I, uh, it it's definitely gets a historic yeah. look and not like a how do I feel about it as a piece yeah. of entertainment. I think that's right. I can. We can we can con- uh, deconstruct it and criticize it and also admire but it. But like, you know? of course, you're right. Like I like, but I don't view the Matrix that way. Like the Matrix, I still watch as a piece of entertainment and treat it through mm-hmm. 2021 glasses because it still deserves it. You don't even need that, baby. They're updating it, dude. I don't want to hear that, man. <laughs> I don't want to get into that at all. Yeah, I don't, I'm not into it. I, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, dude. Get I, want, you. I hope, oh, it's, dude, I hope it's, it's good. I don't know. New DLC dropped. Oh, <laughs> no, but no, but I think yeah, you're baby. right to point out that there is a sort of to appreciate Blair Witch. There is a kind of like uh, you're like a rose-colored lenses. You have to look at it because yeah, it doesn't really hold up now uh, because we're a lot more cynical now about this kind of shit. So like, it's it's more of a Instead of being an intriguing right. premise, oh, yeah. it's a lot more like a "oh fuck yes. you" kind of premise. I get that, um, and I agree yes. with that. I didn't view it this time with that lens. I viewed it to see, like, well, what was it actually like? I don't even really remember it, and I liked it better than I thought. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm intrigued to hear what the audience has to say about that. Like, whether for them it still yeah. works, or if they're like, "Nah, it's only a it's it's." It's basically birth of a nation now. Like we don't want to hear about it anymore. Like that's it, you know. No, man. I think a lot of the. I hope the takeaway isn't just the final kind of conversation or my influence on your argument, which I think is very good. Which is to point out that, um, you know, like the filmmakers really did find a way to own uh, the cheapness and the necessity of 
the film that they were setting out to make. They knew they could only handle so much and they went about it in the right way to succeed. And you're so right about that. It is, these filmmakers were almost impossibly smart with not just from the content that they were creating and their intrigue in the, you know, uh, the non-existent genre that they had like created um, in like the real thing, looking at real paranormal videos had, and such. They were so on yeah. point about all this stuff and employ and deployed the, all the right mechanisms to create it out of necessity it's just like it feels like a student film. That's all. <laughs> well, and it's supposed to feel like a student film. Uh, it's supposed to. Which I think is a, it's convenient. They, That's a convenient decision uh, that I don't necessarily like. Uh, I don't. I, I don't because I know that it is like, well, then you're just saying that they succeeded. Yes, I am. But, but also. But you're still like, allowed to. They're asking us to believe these the, to believe these people so much and to like, oh, I'm so crushed by this. You know, like what makes horror work? Um, and I'm just like, I look at it and I'm just like, I don't, I don't. It, does, it doesn't deserve. These people, they don't feel real. Okay. They feel like a fake. They feel uh, like a fake. Abe came in real hard and shut down the Blair Witch Project today. Uh, no, but I, I, no, I, I think it's. But you're so no, right. No, I mean, though. I think your reaction is the reaction that there's a percentage of people, and I don't know how high it is, that will view this through that lens, and that this film is kind of a a transgression against authenticity in hindsight, instead of a instead of a journey toward it. I believe that the filmmakers thought they were trying to make an authentic film, uh, but I do agree that in hindsight, it's not. For sure, I mean, especially because they're lying in their advertisement, right? Like that's the least authentic thing you can do. Um, but also, it's a lie you and I would have done. Like, there's no question I would have done it, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, a hundred percent. Like, you know, more power to him. I, I don't know. I respect this alternate methodology as a concept. I would not do it because I would not want to make a film this way. But I think it's interesting that somebody did, and especially that it succeeded. Uh, yeah, I. Uh... I agree with literally everything yeah. you just said. I would just go as far to say one I'm more ready. thing, which is the reason that I feel that way is because when you watch the movie, it's a trash movie. It <laughs> sucks. <laughs> and that's why I think the way you, think you're going to wake up way. because it really does suck. Like it's it, not that the fun. Scenes yeah. Are, it's not as fun as it, as I remember it. Like most of the scenes are like, what did you do with that map? Right. Ah! There's a lot of bickering. And then it's just cuts yeah. to quiet. It's a lot of bickering about, I'm sorry. It's a lot of bickering about what might have happened and sort of like four things happened. I, I agree. It's not it's not great. Yeah, it's talking. Uh, yeah. It's not great, but you know, man, that marketing and uh found footage is an idea. Who yeah, won? they really onto something there. Uh there's I, I and then there's like documentaries that like are creating a kind of fiction like uh that <laughs> It's almost better than reality. Like uh, this, my favorite doc, and I always talk about it. Uh, Sherman's March. I love that documentary. Have you seen it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The 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 not the Ross McElwee film. So like that's another example of a person who's doing an extremely authentic film, in the sense that it's just him with a camera. You know, like he's doing that, but he's assembling a like a lie. You know what I mean? Like the film itself is like true, but not yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, I know. I yeah. It. See that to me is like F yeah. is for fake is <laughs> yeah, the same yeah, yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. Orson Welles. Uh, yeah, man. Me too. I love that shit. Well, I, I love my favorite documentaries. I mean, it's not a documentary, but this is spinal tap is like, so important to the, to the mockumentary, genre, to the documentary yeah. forms, mockumentary. Yeah. But like the, yeah, the for forms, sure. Like, Reiner's so aware of exactly the kind of things that I was pointing out that these guys are aware of, you know, like in terms of like hanging too long on a shot or like camera angles that are a little bit too close and stuff like that. Stuff that I think that uh, the actors did naturally because they had seen some of this stuff, but they didn't do enough of because they weren't like well versed enough to know like we should also do that shot and we should do that shot and shots. there should be a telephoto yeah. you know because they don't think about it but they do know like oh how do you show like um this little wood piece of you know haunting haunted wood sculpture how do i show that get real close and let it like let it just swing you know like they knew how to make it creepy even though they're probably not dps um so i just i don't know i just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that this movie did and its successes are based around that but really its success is that it never been done before and it is a very good idea right it's again it's really more the premise than the movie right yeah, yeah. it really is and that's how like you mentioned the actors that's how everyone admitted that they knew as soon as you hear the idea about what you're doing and you, you're like oh i see what you're doing well, I'm going to play with that. I'm going to be a uh, you know, I'm going to be a team player here and going to be a part of this idea which is really great. Okay, yeah, it means that you're like basically it's going to do nothing for your career. Uh yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just sad when I, you look I at highly doubt I highly doubt out. that they really knew that's what they were agreeing to. Uh yeah, but it, it, yeah, I'd be eager to see exactly what they thought about it. Me too. I mean, that is interesting. It's like did they think that I mean, I don't know, because it's such a nightmare of a process. So, like, they might have just thought, well, it's a good experience. But then when they saw the film, they might have thought, oh, this is really something. And then when they saw how it was going to be marketed, they might be like, fuck, I'm missing out on something that's really good. Mm-hmm. Like it a real journey. Momentary yeah. reaction. A real journey. Yeah. That's much like life is. I bet that that's probably true to the narrative of all the actors yeah. in the film. Who but can who say? can say? I don't know. We're not actors. We're not those You've actors. Acted. We're not You've even acted. actors. You've acted a little I've bit. My, I've done my fair share of terrible acting. You and I acted in a, today's topic about uh, Game of Thrones. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I and as you know, I had to be a cartoon because I don't know how to <laughs> yeah. be real. That's right. That's why talk about the authenticity. Of I believe I wrote that episode, and I believe I wrote as your character the real Abe. <laughs> And you refused to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I was there just is like, no, no real I will be a cartoon There character. is no real aim. I will be like a cartoon CG cat. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be cool in one moment and then sad yeah. in another moment. Why? Because yeah. I gotta. That's right. Abe defied my mm-hmm. demand for his authenticity that day. I'm very yeah. hard to work with. <laughs> I, I take pride in it. You heard it here for <laughs> Abe Tempest Epperson. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love when you tell I stories do. about me. It makes me feel like I'm I love I love telling like stories I, about you. I hope that you'd be able to I hope it like you can give one of my Dude, eulogies. I would give you a killer. I'm gonna eulogy. have a lot. 
I would give you I a know killer you eulogy. And you, I know. Like I'm thinking about dying just so you know, like this could happen. Uh, no, it's it's like uh, I love hearing about what Webster's think of Dictionary me. defines and, Abraham uh, as. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right, and I yeah I love it, and uh, I don't feel guilty about it. I want everyone to talk about sure. me all the time and make me yeah. feel like an important Sweet boy. boy. Sweet scene um, boy. I am yeah. important. I'm a director. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, man, this is good. I like, I like this. I like uh, I like this conversation. I like the frankness that you uh, approached it. And I agree with almost cool. everything you said. I just go even farther. Say it's trash. And yeah. make a fool of myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed it uh, and our insights into the Blair Witch Project. I mean, you know, uh, it may not be my favorite movie, but man, they tried something and they succeeded. So good for them. Good, for, Good them. for them. You know, enjoy that $200 million. <laughs> well, they're franchise. not enjoying it. Artists and Films is enjoying it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. I swear to God, it was the most elaborate <laughs> heist of all time. They're just, <laughs> they just like dis- disappeared and they're like, where'd they go? And like, all the $200 million that we got are, is and gone Blair, somehow. Yeah. And they're like, Blair Witch <laughs> 2 is just, yeah, Ocean's Blair Witch 11. 2 is just Andy Garcia shows up with his cane and he's like, now you're going to pay me back. Absolutely. <laughs> I love these guys. I want. I hope this is true. I know it's not, but it's just how I want to perceive the world. All right. Well, uh, uh, farewell, right. everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!